You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 200, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. Well, actually, I'm not your host for this one. The tables have turned, and my good friend slash Look at My Records contributor, Zach Romano, interviewed me for this milestone 200th episode. We talked all about Look at My Records' humble beginnings, how it's evolved since its inception, some of my favorite interviews, how my record collection has ballooned in recent years, and much more. Plus, I curated a playlist of records that have shaped my life. You'll hear some cuts from The Zombies, Pavement, Yola Tango, The Minutemen, and more. And of course, I have some associated stories with each record. Happy 200th to look at my records, and a big thank you to Zach for steering the ship for this episode. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Here we are for the 200th episode. Hey, what's up? Hey. Roll of reversal. Yeah. Well, not a reversal. Yeah. For today on on Look at My Records, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Jersey City's own Thomas Gallo. Uh, Thomas Thomas hosts a popular new york city music podcast called look at my records and uh look at my records is is thrilled to have him on board with us today cheers let's get some clinky on the mic yo clink clink if you couldn't hear that it was beer toasting fancy beer and wine glasses yeah what kind of beer is this it's a winter ipa whatever the hell that interesting it tastes it tastes like any other ipa there's no, there's nothing wintry about this at all. Yeah, I feel a little besides the packaging chilly, you know. I think I feel that's because like the beer's just, just out of the fridge, man. Yeah, it's just out of the fridge. Perfect for winter, cold, you know. Yeah, yo, so 200 episodes, damn, went by pretty quickly. Because remember the hundredth episode party at Pet Shop? Yeah, that and was we were fun. like, I, I remember saying before that for the hundredth episode. I have to interview you about podcasts, and then, yeah. then we forgot about it. But Well, then we said 150th, but then we also forgot about it. Yeah. And then, then I said 175, and you were like, no, nah, just wait till 200. Just wait till 200. So yeah, that's well, what we 175, did. Mm, that's a number that no one really cares about. Really? Who Who is on episode 175? Do you remember? Let's take a look into the archives. They, they win the, um, the most irrelevant episode award. Whoever it was. Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's take a look. <laughs> We're looking. We're looking at episodes. Pardoner. Pardoner. Great post-punk band from the Bay Area signed to Bar None Records, Hoboken, New Jersey's finest record label. Wow, that's actually, it's pretty awesome that we waited until the 200th episode to do it then because then you, you never would have had Pardoner on because... Probably just would have had them on after. 
No, I, I, I think in, in their rider, they, they insisted on uh, an episode divisible by, by 25, an episode number divisible by 25. Yeah, that in five packs of M&Ms with yeah, no with the, blue M&Ms with the blue in ones it. removed. Yeah, with no blue M&Ms in it. Very high maintenance band. Very. They need to chill. Very high maintenance. They absolutely need to chill. It's funny because they're actually a pretty low maintenance band. They were very like laid back guys <laughs> just, that just, just, just gotta and make roll. sure it's on the record that they're not actually high maintenance those fuckers <laughs> nah just kidding uh, so nice an episode a week that means you've been doing this for almost four years right well for a while in the beginning it was i tried to do an episode every week but i wasn't always successful at doing that but since the pandemic i've basically done an episode every week Nice. It's been easier to schedule it, doing them all remote. Right. Like yeah, because you don't have so, to have people up in your house. Yeah, nobody's been, well, a couple of people have been in my apartment for interviews recently. Yeah. But mostly nice remote now, which I don't it. like as much. I'd rather be in person talking to someone like we're doing right now. Yeah. So actually, I'm going to ask you about that, but later in the episode. Okay, cool. Um, so this is. 200 is not counting local fidelity episodes on Radio Free yeah. Brooklyn, right? No, it doesn't. It that doesn't count. So how many of those would you say you've done? Yeah, uh, uh, hundreds as well. Over hundreds? 100. Yeah. No, not well, over 200. Well, combined with the lo- look at my records radio show before local fidelity. Okay. That was that was so confusing. Very. I'm, that's I'm, I'm why glad, I switched it. I'm glad it. you rebranded it. That's why I switched it to yeah. You know, ease the confusion. I remember when you texted me about that, you, you wanted some name suggestions and then threw out Local Fidelity, which is like pretty clearly the best name for that. And yeah, I, I didn't, I had nothing. I've been doing Local Fidelity since February of 2020. So, Damn. and you've been and doing I've basically done it every week. What, like 2017. 2017. Yeah, I remember. The, the first few were just like local band playlists yeah. and uh, look, look what it's become. Sometimes not even local band playlists. It was just like playlists. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. That's right. I remember I was in Toronto listening to an early episode and that's how I got into White Reaper and they're not from here, I think. Yeah, no. I think they're from Canada They're from like Canada Midwest or somewhere? Somewhere that's not here. Yeah, not, not Canada. Mid, when you're Midwest. not from here, I'm just like you're somewhere else Mid- midwest of canada maybe california or somewhere not california but yeah it took me a while to kind of settle into a format i was yeah. kind of experimenting with a lot of different things i was talking to someone with someone about this recently so tell me a little bit more about that like who was the first band you interviewed? I think I remember who it was. Milkmen from New Brunswick, New Jersey. Yeah. They're no longer a band, but they were a fun trio. Dead Milkmen? Just alive Milkmen. <laughs> okay. But they are dead now. <laughs> yeah. They are dead. The, the, the dead band the Milkmen. Dead, the Dead Milkmen 2. Dead Milkmen Jr., you know, basically. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, they were great. I saw them because I had the concept for it where I wanted to interview people who would then pick records from my record collection. But then I figured, oh, I actually just want to start it and do it. So then I didn't have a guest until the 12th or 13th episode. Well, you needed to like build up ahead of steam before people were like, 
Yeah, I'll go on your podcast. If you have a podcast with like one episode, I think it's harder than if you have a established podcast with 11 episodes. And I saw that band play with Justin Mayfield's band, Sheen Marina at Gold Sounds, and that's where I asked them to do the podcast. Wow. I came over and I wore an REM shirt. There's a photo of the us. Man, so you were looking for a band at a show and your friend Justin Mayfield's band was playing, but you didn't ask them, you asked the other band. That's uh, pretty rough on, on Justin Mayfield. They did appear on the Look At My Records radio program not too long after that, though. probably like 2018. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to stir up shit. Let's <laughs> I'm just keep trying to stirring stir it. Keep, I love <laughs> talking shit. I love getting into fights. I love just creating beef. Yeah, let's, excellent. Let's, for the 200, 200th episode of Look at My Records, let's make some drama. Make get people some beefs, to hate us. Get some people pissed off. This has been a, a far too positive radio show. Yeah. And on the 200th episode, we're, we're going to change that. Good. So when you started off the podcast, what, did you think about what it might look like 200 episodes in or were you just kind of flying by the seat of your pants and doing flying by the seat of my pants that's kind of how i do things i do think ahead but i try not to think too far ahead i try to just enjoy it and see what happens i guess i'm a type the type of person that does that works through trial and error see sees what works and what doesn't work and then right. move forward with that. I, I think you, you there weren't any catastrophic errors. Nothing catastrophic, definitely not. And I think it's only catastrophic if you make it catastrophic, especially if it's a hobby. Yeah, like what, in, in terms of music podcasting, I guess what, what would catastrophe on a music podcast even look like? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I like said to someone, oh, I hope you die or something, but that's never going to happen. Yeah, I, I guess they need to have some real uh, poor answers to your questions or poor record choices. Yeah, I've never, I've, I've never had an interview where I walk away and think, wow, that was horrible, you know? Yeah. Most of them are good to great, you know, between okay and great, I'd say. For sure, for yeah. sure. So what, what led you to start this podcast in the first place? I kind of just wanted to be more involved with music. I did radio in college, as you know. We went to the same college. We both did college radio. Yeah, we did. It was great. And I wanted to be more, do more things outside of work. I kind of wanted to explore different hobbies. And this was one, because I really like music. So I felt like this was a good idea. Yeah, totally. I remember from doing my radio show in college that it's so much more fun to discover new music if you have an outlet where you can share it with others. And I really missed that. I like sharing music with people. And then when people come to me and say, oh, wow, that band is awesome that I saw on your Instagram or heard on your podcast or read on your website. Thanks for sharing them. That's the best feeling in the world. The best feeling in the world. The best feeling in the world. So, it's a pretty good feeling. Maybe not the best feeling in the world. No, but it's, no, it's no, up totally, there. totally. And you've like really cemented yourself as a uh, like I don't want to say influencer, but uh, someone who's 
at the center of the scene and knows what's going on. I pride myself on being knowledgeable about the music scene. If someone, I, I'm always happy if someone wants to tap into me with a question or, hey, do you have any bands that would fit this bill? Because I like it, you know, feels good when people come to me and seek me out for recommendations for shows or stuff like that. So, oh, for sure. And yeah. like the, the podcast, you, you, you book shows now, you have a label now. Wow. I feel like the podcast has played into both of those things, kind of been at least part of the road. Yeah, there, right? it's part of the road. It's a journey. So many stops on the road. What a long and winding road by the Beatles off of Let It Be. Great album. Just reissued recently. Oh, yeah? How many times? One of those so, like super deluxe editions. In the next, let's say, 100 years, how many re reissues of that album do you think there will be? Probably another five. At least. Yeah. At least. I think 10. Maybe like once a decade. Yeah, once a decade sounds about right. Yeah, that's great. Dude, it's 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 gonna be weird when there are no Beatles left, you know? Oh, yeah. That well, that'll be the sign that Armageddon is coming. You know, <laughs> once Ringo dies at 115, gotta, <laughs> gotta keep those two alive. <laughs> Ringo, I want Ringo to live like to a very very old age. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping Ringo makes it to the singularity. Me too. You know. Or maybe we live in an alternate universe or like our universe is the universe where Ringo is immortal. I guess there's one universe out there where everything is the same. And maybe it's this one. Ringo is immortal. Yeah. So maybe it's this one. Well, his beats are immortal. Yeah. And maybe he just lives to 300 or something. <laughs> well, I'd be, I'm all for that. Fingers crossed. I hope so. so Live long and prosper, Ringo star. Richard Starkey. <laughs> Tell me about a few of your favorite moments on the show in the last 200 episodes, whether interviews, whether like things that came out of the show. Tell me about some fun stuff. So I was thinking about this today and I have a couple. I thought it was really cool that in general, I've made a lot of new friends through look at my records. Mm -hmm. One being our friend Chris Janone, who was introduced to me through Max Roush, who runs his own studio in West Orange, New Jersey. I went to high school with him and he's in a couple of great, you know, northern New Jersey bands, including Lake Effect. And he suggested that Chris Janone and I connect and we've been friends ever since. And we're like, really yeah, good like friends really good now. friends. Yeah. Interviewing Colin Molding of XTC was yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That was really cool, amazing to talk to someone who I admire so much and one of my favorite songwriters of all time. It's also been really cool to connect with some indie rock people who I've looked up to for many, many years and then being able to call them friends after talking with them. Such as? Uh, Nicole Yoon of Eternal Summers, cool. Kip Berman right, of the right, of being yeah. pure at heart. So that's kind of amazing because 10, 15 years ago, these are people that I didn't know anything about them. They were just 
great musicians that I really admired. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, there's that distance between you as a fan and the bands that you look up to and really oh, totally. like. And then that, you know, distance is no more, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's you, you always bridged cool. It. You bridged it. That's with, always uh... really cool. With a microphone and some playlists and a lot of hard work. And conversation, beautiful <laughs> conversations. I think you getting more involved too was awesome as oh. well. Like when we did our first interview. I think the first one we did was Leveda. Leveda, yeah. That was like one of the highlights of the last yeah. 100, epi 100 episodes. A great young up and coming shoegaze band with tons of potential two really great young songwriters yeah they're they're fantastic we did one of the like first extensive interviews with them so i'm very very proud of that yeah that, that was a really fun one so what have some of the challenges in maintaining a podcast going this long been it's like you know it's it's hard work to like edit an episode and do everything myself so it's a lot of... Yeah, I don't envy you the editing. Editing is hard. Uh, scheduling interviews, preparing for interviews is challenging too, especially if you're going to do a couple of weeks. And then I also have created this whole written portion of Look at My Records that I try to keep up with. So there's a lot of yeah. juggling going on. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff to manage. And, you know, you get... We get lot of submissions from people too and you want to be able to cover everyone that you like and want to support local music and up-and-coming artists oh yeah yeah, you know? yeah but it's 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 challenging and yeah you're a guy who has a hard time saying no so yeah i never so when, say when no you, when, when you start to get like when, when you start to get unsolicited submissions in do you like, how, how, do you just like not respond I just to the ones? Them, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I, I guess that's better than just telling them to fuck off. Yeah, I, I, that's like another extreme. Maybe I should just be like, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. No, but uh, I wouldn't do that. No, uh, I just ignore. Yeah, I just <laughs> pretend that because I'm a went coward. To your spam, spam inbox. I'm a coward. No. Da -da -da. No. You're, you're, you're a nice guy. Busy man. That's uh, that's the that's the thing I tell myself. I'm like I'm at work, everybody. Yeah, you can. You only have an episode a week to work with, right? Yeah. A lot of bands. A lot of artists. A lot of fartists. You know. Yeah, yeah. That you you've really been um, working on the the fart side of, of this podcast. Love it to be smellier. Yeah. There's no like olfactory component to the podcast, which I'd like there to be. Yeah, I, I mean like. Of, of a, a lot of technologies that we thought were useless are, are now coming back, such as QR codes and virtual yeah. reality in the metaverse. Maybe, maybe smell of vision and smell of casts are the next thing. I hope so. I really, really hope so. But it's been fun. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Yeah, like this is, it's a labor of love. Yeah. And I guess it's also a labor of fun. Yeah. A labor of loving fun. Fun loving <laughs> labor. For a, from a fun loving guy. I'm 
very fun loving. A fun loving dude. Tom Gallo. A dude of fun, a dude of love, a <laughs> dude of loving fun, a dude of fun lovingness. So what what advice would you give to someone on, say, their fifth episode of a music podcast? Just to keep going. Keep doing it. It takes time to learn and develop good interview skills. And it's still weird for me to think I have interview skills because this is a hobby for me. And it's, you know, when I think about it though, I've interviewed hundreds of artists. Yeah, that's wild. So I know how to interview a musician. And it's weird to think about that that's like a skill set. Oh, it, it, it totally yeah. is. It, it totally is. Yes, I, like, I never think about that. Yeah, this. exactly. So I was like, well, I guess I do. If I had like a music resume, I have music interview skills. But to develop those, you just got to keep doing it. Yeah, keep keep at it. Keep at it. Keep, you know, listen to the music of the person that you're interviewing. Don't, well... That's the fun. That's the thing too. It's a totally different kind of interviewing than anything else because you're not asking the tough questions. You're not being like, "What the fuck is up with track four? Did you like <laughs> tell me about your childhood? Yeah, tell me about what was your dad like? Yeah, I don't do that. This is not <laughs> sixty minutes, you know." I don't ask the tough questions. It's it's longer than 60 minutes usually. Yeah, so I usually, my advice would just be keep it fun, focus on the music, do it because you like it, and you like music, and you like talking about music. So, actually that's a good point to transition a little bit to questions about music and about your record collection. Sure. The record collection that so many have looked at. So first, upon. first of all, how do records like even work? So <laughs> what you do is you take it out. You put the record on the record player. There's a needle that has like wires that go. Tom, Tom, I know that. But how does the groove translate into beautiful, warm, amplified that's, sound? That's a good question how did how does it even work that's a really good question the needle goes on the record and it like reads the grooves and then the music comes out there there's a step there's a a step missing here yeah what's that step i i have no idea neither do i everyone google it it so much but like i've never like looked in the groove though maybe i should get a mic like microscope or something but even if you did, like, how does a bunch of, like, dashes in vinyl translate to different tones and timbers? It's fucked and, up, right? Yeah, it's, re- it's really weird. That's like some Jesus shit, you know? H- how does... I-, I don't know. Like, how did Christ rise from the dead, if he did? Um, Probably didn't. Five or six espresso shots? Yeah, exactly. Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> Red Bull. So, Look at My Records very much has a tone and an aesthetic to it, and kind of the the base of both of those things is your taste in music. So tell me a little bit about 
how your taste developed and who and what has been kind of instrumental to that. So when I was a young kid, I listened to the music that my parents liked. My parents liked the Beatles, all the classics of guitar based music. And the Beatles fan from day one, Beach Boys fan from day one, Who fan from day, day one, two. day three, day three, the Kinks, day four, the Zombies, all that good 60s stuff. And, you know, I had an uncle who passed away when I was 18. He's a big music mm -hmm, guy. Mm -hmm. And he was really into a lot of British music as well. Right. Would you, would you say that he was kind of your um, entrance point to the slightly more underground totally. type stuff? Totally. Brit British under less well-known stuff like XTC and bands right. like that, Robin Hitchcock. And all sorts of crazy shit that he didn't, uh, you know, introduce me to when he was alive. But through his record collection, I was able to kind of discover it. Because when he oh damn I didn't away, know that yeah so when he passed away you know he had a pretty extensive record collection so I've spent like years going through it and he's real he was really into this from what I could tell this scene called the Canterbury scene in the UK uh, probably the most well known band to come out of it is the Soft Machine mm -hmm, and Robert mm -hmm. Wyatt. But there's all these other like insane jazz fusion bands that are associated with it. Like Gong is one. Um, yeah, Hatfield in the North. So like all this like insane shit. And he's Chaucer also- Chaucer was part of the Canterbury scene, I think. Yes, I the think so. Made, made a bath. Bath, dude. Yeah. Great, great scene, great scene. And. Who else? Other other bands within that really experimental psych realm. It's kind of like in really insane. Cool. So so how how did this work out? Were you, you were like going through the collection and like found some stuff and put it on and we're just exactly like... yes and just was like wow this is insane. So it's cool to have that connection even after he passed away. Yeah, that's cool. that's awesome that you yeah. have like a physical thing in his collection and the kind of the, the music that makes it up and has led you to find all this other stuff. It's like, it's pretty great. Huge Zappa fan too, which I've really recently been trying to get into early Frank Zappa. That's a rabbit hole. A lot of Frank Zappa records. But after I'd say the early music that I got into through my parents and my uncle Nick, Then when I kind of ventured out on my own, I was really, I guess, listened to rock radio a lot when I was in middle school. I really liked the Foo Fighters around the time their third album came out, uh, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. And I really liked Stone Temple Pilots at that time. Okay. Too. Really into Purple. And their third record, Tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop, And then I like regrettably got into corn and stuff like that too, like a lot of people did, I guess. <laughs> If you didn't, good for you, Zach. <laughs> Managed to avoid that. Good for you. 
was just talking with someone yesterday, our friend Pooja and I, our friend Courtney, and we both admitted we liked corn and Limp Biscuit. But what I failed to understand is why are people trying to revive that and make it seem like, oh, this was actually not that bad. Can't we just acknowledge that, yeah, we liked it and it sucked and let's just keep it back in the year 2000? Limp Biscuit definitely sucked. Yeah, so did Corn too. Yeah. I said the low ends of those, those bass notes were just like diarrhea inducing. You know, oh, it's the, like that no, the classic that, 90s brown note. Yeah, that the ben butt Folds note, dude. Brown note, yeah. It's even lower than Ben Fold's butt note. It's the <laughs> lowest bass tones ever in corn. It's insane. It sounds like the strings are just not even tuned. They're just like, bleh, 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 bleh. that shouldn't, that <laughs> should be against a lot to play, to tune your bass that low. And you shouldn't be able to play a five-string bass. Fuck that. Unless you're Bella Fleck, I guess. Eh, Unless you're in the Fleck tones. Yeah. For, for but, the record, <laughs> he plays the banjo, dude. Oh, well, doesn't Victor someone Wooten in his plays bass? the bass. Yeah. The, so a Fleck tone. Man, so I just Bella schooled Fleck, you on Bella Fleck, Fleck in the Fleck tones. I'm not ashamed that I don't know that. <laughs> I'm okay. But after that, when I got to high school... I got into more like punk rock, I guess. I remember I had a classmate at Monsignor Farrell High School on Staten Island that would burn me like Bouncing Souls CDs and Sick. stuff. And then I got into ska, third wave emo, which sucked. But some of it is nostalgic and fun, like Saves the Day and bands associated with that that are from New Jersey, bands like Lifetime, other bands, right? Kid Dynamite. Then when I got to college, discovered indie rock, Yeah, which was great. It's kind of weird that we both sort of discovered indie rock at Lafayette College, which isn't a place really conducive to that. I've discovered it basically through that file share program. Do you remember yeah, that? Oh yeah, yeah, what was that called? DC++? Yeah. Yeah, I just like yeah, download a, everybody's music. Oh, totally. Like, there was a guy in my dorm yeah. uh, who had a really great music collection, and I downloaded almost all of it. Yeah. And that was like, kind of taste forming for me. Me too. DC at Lafayette College was huge for me. Do you remember because, who you got the, the stuff from? No, and I was like trying to be discreet about it too because I wanted everyone to think I was cool and already <laughs> liked these bands or already knew all about them. Right. So I was just like, bleh, 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 you know, like, bleh, bleh, you know, like, ah, oh, top secret shit. Yeah. But through that, I remember, I guess I got into, you know, SST records, which I guess is more punk than indie rock, but kind of like formative uh, pre-indie rock with the Minutemen, Husker Du, The Replacements, all those bands from the 80s, right. Sonic Youth, Beat Happening, Mud Honey, Pavement, all the greats, all the classics. And then kind of from there moved more into, I guess, more current indie rock that came out in the aughts. Because at the time... Yeah, we were in college in a real, like... 2009, boom yeah. For, real boom for that. I remember just discovering lots of current band, indie rock bands then. Arcade Fire, 
Do you remember Architecture in Helsinki? I do, I do. I remember. Unmistakable. Yeah, totally. And, and I like think Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter, great time because Micro Castle, I think, came out while we were in college, right? Yeah, and uh, Broken Social Scene. Yes, yes. That I remember a... downloading that from DC and listening to it and being kind of blown away. Yeah. I saw a Stereo Gum posted like two weeks ago that Boy Genius was the greatest supergroup in indie rock. And I immediately, you know, middle aged indie rock nerd commented, they're great but I don't think they've unseated Broken Social Scene just I, I yet. I don't know. Broken Social Scene group. is sort of like a re retroactive super group though, because they all be became famous through Broken Social Scene and then sort of did their Interesting. own thing. Interesting, wow. So that's like saying the Strokes are a super group because they all had solo projects afterwards. Interesting, wow, and they're, good point. They're not. You just owned me. They ain't. Boom! The yeah, boom! that's true. Maybe you're right. I don't know. Broken social scene, like, they have, like, a bunch of people rotating in and out, though, so I think there's... Yeah, but, like, A.C. Newman was a guy before Broken Social Scene. Yeah. Kind of Feist was a girl. Well, I mean, but none of those bands were, like... They were, like, local scene bands, right? Yeah, like Canada shit. Yeah, know? like, everyone's been in bands before the band they're currently in. That doesn't mean every band's a super group, because everyone's been in a band previously. Zach, such a good point. Such <laughs> a valid point. A very valid point. So so valid. Your opinion is valid. Your opinion's valid too, man. I know, man. We're both a couple of valid Let's just sit opinions. here and validate. Validating opinions. Just, just like opinions are like parking. <laughs> I'm burping. What's up? <laughs> so do you remember the first record you ever purchased? Yes. I purchased New Day Rising by Who Screwed You. That's a pretty record good one. That's a good one. I ever purchased. What, Vinyl what? record. Yeah, yeah. What store or was it online? It was online, yeah. So I guess that's, you know, anticlimactic. Well. But yes, that's the first record I purchased with, you know, myself. Besides when, something when I inherited was that? or whatever. In the aughts, I think, maybe 2007 or 2008. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. And so when did you get your first, did you like have a record player in college in your dorm? No, I just had one at home. And then I guess when I graduated college, I got more into it. Right. Because we had a lot of records at home, my uncle's old records. So when I was living with my parents in Verona, like 2009, 2010 was when I really started getting into listening to vinyl more frequently and on a regular basis. Got it, got it. Got it. So how many records would you say that you currently have? I think that it's like between my apartment and my room at my parents, I'd say there's probably like 3,000. That's a lot. Yeah. Is that counting, like, say you get a box set, are you counting a box set as one record? That's one. Okay. That's only one. That, so that's a shitload of records. Yeah, because there's a bunch of my parents, too, in my bedroom at my parents' place. So hopefully one day soon I'll consolidate everything in one place and alphabetize it. And I'm sure, it'll be just like I'm sure your wife, Pooja, will love more records yeah, showing up. Yeah, no, she won't. She'll hate it. 
She will hit it. Yeah. So how many do you think you add in an average year? Yeah, probably a hundred a year. I need to cut back on that though, unfortunately. That's that's buttload. Yeah, because I'm always buying them pretty frequently. But I, I need to I need to stop doing that. I can I've been trying to now focus my record buying purchases to stuff that's gonna be rare or that's a limited pressing instead of just right you know right. whatever some standard pressing so i really try to focus on for instance snail mail put out a new record there was a matador pressing of a color variant a matador black pressing standard vinyl but then Ooh. there was the artist exclusive limited edition pressing limited to 500 damn two of those damn yeah so that means you have one 250th of those records yeah and something that really makes me happy i don't know why it's like very weird is just because i really i'm never gonna sell any of my records i'll probably just die with them but when i go on discogs and i see that i bought a rare record that's a limited edition and then i see people selling it for like hundreds of dollars i'm like yes <laughs> and i was like i'm never gonna sell it though but it's just cool to know yeah. that this is a rare record that's worth money oh for sure for yeah. sure and it's just like hell yeah have you ever done like a record call based on space or just because you didn't like the music anymore? Or do you like still have every record you've ever bought? I still have every thing. Yeah. Damn. I've never sold anything. Ever. And I don't think I ever will. I'm just a <laughs> hoarder of cool stuff. You know? Yeah. Records, rock posters. Yeah, exactly. Rock and roll posters. Rock and roll t-shirts and also sports t-shirts. Rock and roll sports jackets. Yes, rock and roll. <laughs> rock and roll blazers. Satin. <laughs> sports jackets. Yeah, like a niche of certain shit that I like to accumulate. And sometimes I'll get a new New York sports satin jacket and Pooja will be like, why did you get this? like because like i don't have one someone has where to it's it. the round baseball yankees logo we need that our family needs this jacket puja your your future child needs to wear that yes. jacket and that that's funny because that all started i had one yankees satin jacket that my father's friend eugene left at his house in like 1982 and just, I guess that he never got it back. So now I have it and it's mine. So say, say Eugene showed up tomorrow and because he listened to this and heard that you had his jacket. I guess I would have would to give have it to, back. Would you give it back or would you say like the statute of limitations has passed? I'd probably give it back. He probably, he probably would want it. So I'd give it back to him. Uh, Eugene, it's yours if you come collect it <laughs> at my apartment in Jersey. Does Eugene listen to the cast? Definitely not. <laughs> okay. All right. But Jack's he's a, probably safe he's then. He's a big Yankees fan, I know, because my dad's told me stories. So maybe he wants to check it. Or maybe you already got another one. It's been like 40 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever thought about starting a new podcast about sports memorabilia and sports clothing? 
where Eugene is interviewed about his memories about the Yankees. Yeah, I thought about it. I think about that every day and whether or not it's possible to do. How many episodes worth of stories do you think Eugene has? Oh, hundreds, thousands, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps thousands. Thousands. <laughs> hundreds of thousands. So what percent of the records that you have do you think you've actually spun? Like 80. That's there pretty is high. Like, that's pretty high. There, I listen to like everything, but there is stuff that's still sealed and, you know, it's just sitting there. Probably like, like that new snail, snail mail record. Yeah, the, the second copy of the snail, the mail, snail record. mail record. Yeah. Similarly, last year I got the new album Color Theory by Soccer Mommy. And I liked it so much that I got a standard copy to play. Oh, nice. And the rare copy to never open and just die look with. at Discogs and die with. <laughs> you know, look at Discogs <laughs> and die with. Psycho! <laughs> That's me. So, earlier in the episode, we were talking about how, like, before the pandemic, bands would come up to your apartment and look through your records pick them out like that um and during the pandemic it went almost totally toward discogs yes um do you foresee going back to bands going through your records yeah i've had a couple of people over anyone that's local i'd be happy to have over to my place to actually go through the records but it's cool to be able to do them even though I don't like it as much, just because there's, it's it, you can establish a good rapport with someone over Zoom or whatever, but it's not the same. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Especially like if you spend half an hour with them, like chatting as they're going through your collection. That's fun. As, and as, there's as pizza like usually. I usually get pizza and there's definitely beer to consume. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. So I will, go back to anyone that wants to come over and hang and i'll probably still continue to do remotely too because it's yeah, cool it's, to it's connect nice with to, like get some some people from like the west coast absolutely and, and yes and absolutely it's great because my music taste even though i do like to focus on my community and the local music scene in many ways my tastes are far-reaching they're I like artists from all over the fucking world. Yeah, you know? does not discriminate. I like artists from Australia, you Russia, in Canada, New Norway, Zealand. New Zealand, the UK, of course, Ireland, Northern Ireland, <laughs> Sweden, all Sweden. These Funny enough, I did interview a Swedish band in person, though, when oh, they yeah, were I here. Oh, yeah, They were, they were like, nice kids. Very young, right? Very young. Nice kids, though. Very nice kids. And they're, they're doing pretty well, it seems, on the internet these days. So I hope they come back. Nice. Tribe Friday. That was, like, right before the pandemic, Yes, right? that it was. That was one of the last in-person It was, yes. You're so right, Zach. So <laughs> fucking right. So... You looked through your own records for this episode. Yeah, I did, yeah. Looked through them. But before before we get to the songs that you've picked to play out, are there any songs that you wish you could have picked but didn't because you didn't have the record? No. Because 
I was only looking at my own records already, but I guess one record that I would really like that I don't have is The Bird's Fifth Dimension, and I need to get that. What's What stopped you from getting that? Is it like out of print or? Yeah, I mean, I just, the thing is with older records, there are a lot of copies out there of Bird's records, of Beatles records, stuff like that. So you can get a copy that's in okay condition for pretty cheap. But if you want a decent copy that's in good condition of a record that was, you know, there's many different pressings from the 60s. There's many, many copies out there. If you want one that's still in pretty good condition, then it's expensive. Be paying, huh? Yeah. If you want like a mint copy of Rubber Soul, it's probably like hundreds of dollars, you know? Do you want a mint copy of Rubber Soul? I have a mint copy of Rubber Soul. <laughs> Suck it, everyone! <laughs> but yeah, that that's just an example, though, of kind of when you're out there looking for stuff and you see something like the birds turn, 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 and it's priced at like 150 bucks, and you're like, what, why? This is probably in really, really good condition. So I want a good copy of the bird's fifth dimension. That would be great. Would you have put a song from that on this list of songs? Possibly, I would have considered it, yeah. Well, on that note, let's move to the songs. So let's start with She's Not There by The Zombies off of Good choice. Begin Here, released in 1965. So The Zombies, I feel, are an underrated British invasion band. They're really, really good. They started similar to the Beatles, stuff that wasn't as experimental. Right with the rest of them then they put out what i think is you know a really underrated record that experimented with psychedelia and those types of sounds and guitar tones called odyssey and oracle in 1968 but i chose begin here and i specifically chose the song she's not there because why'd you choose that i remember as a kid this was one of the first songs that i was obsessed with and i loved it so so much there were a couple of songs that i remember distinctly from my childhood um one of them is from uh george harrison's i think he he put out a solo record called cloud nine the year i was born and on that record, he has a song called Devil's Radio and Got My Mind Set on You. And I remember as a kid, my parents would play that record and I would just like run around the <laughs> coffee table <laughs> nice. while they played it. But I picked this zombie song instead because I, I, I remember just really being intrigued by kind of some of their choices vocally in the song. There's a cor the chorus where they sing, and let me tell you about the way she looked. 
and then they like take a breath between each line and <laughs> it's very prominent in the song you can tell that they're taking like a gasping breath after each line in the chorus and i right, was like right. that's so cool and i first heard this song because my mom's friend madeline had this cd collection that she'd play when we were at her house it must have been some kind of British invasion collection of hits or something like that. Right. But this is the one that like stood out the most to me. It's a really catchy song. Yeah, it's such a good song. And so I have like distinct childhood memories of listening to this song and really loving this song. So that's why I picked it. So I, when I was listening to this, I noticed that the drum beat is very similar to the In My Life drum beat, which gets lauded quite a bit, but I think this came out slightly before. Yeah, whoa! So, yeah. yeah. Same year, but I think this came out first. Next up, we are going same era, but a little bit more obscure by, by a punnily named band called The Beatles, spelled B-E-A-T-L-E-S. This is called Ticket to Ride. Might have heard this one. From the same year, came out the same year, yeah. 1965 as the Zombies song off of Help. And I picked this song mainly because... When my parents tell this story all the time, my dad tells this story all the time, and it's a great, great story about me. I was eight years old, I think, seven or eight years old, and my dad had some kind of company picnic or work picnic at a place in Nassau County, Long Island, and we went to it, and it was fun, you know grilling and shit there's all sorts of people there and they had this karaoke machine or whatever and people were singing and my eight-year-old self i was like i had sang in school stuff and done stuff like that and i kind of like psyched myself out and i was like i need to sing karaoke <laughs> at this fucking thing i need to sing a song so i sang ticket to ride and I killed it. Nice. Everyone was like, that's amazing. Probably because they're like this eight-year-old kid just decided to go, <laughs> go up and <laughs> sing Ticket to Ride really seriously. <laughs> like, Nicely done. Yeah. So I sang Ticket to Ride in front of all these people. <laughs> Even the... now, it's a real treat whenever I get to hear you sing karaoke. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to do Ticket to Ride Hell next yeah. time I do karaoke recreate that moment in uh, the, the 1995 one, or whatever. The last one I think I heard you do was Wild Horses. Wild Horses is a fun one because <laughs> you could just really belt it out. Oh, and you did. Totally did. You, you, that was the night uh, Rose McGowan was at the karaoke bar we I were hope at. hope she enjoyed my version, my rendition of I'm, I'm Wild sure she Horses. Did. And if she didn't, that's your problem, Russ. That's your problem. <laughs> It's your problem. He's bringing her down, yeah. She would never be free when I was around. She 
moving forward in time, we have a song by R.E.M. called Driver 8. Why'd you pick this one? So I picked this song and I picked Driver 8 in particular. Again, another childhood memory of mine. And this song originally appeared on the band's 1985 album, Fables of the Reconstruction. But I deliberately picked the eponymous compilation, which was released in 1988 as when R.E.M., I guess had signed to Warner Brothers at that right, point, right. major label. And this compilation was a collection of their best of from when they were on the IRS label, the independent label. And I picked this compilation in particular because my dad had a cassette tape of this compilation oh, nice. in his car. And I remember as a kid listening to it all the time. And that was like my early exposure to R.E.M. And again, R.E.M., a, a band that I've been a, a fan of for as long as I can remember. And the songs on this compilation really are the best of that first 10 years of the band. Driver 8 always has been my favorite R.E.M. song, but also on this compilation. <laughs> Gardening at night. Talk about the passion. It's the end of the world as we know it, which... I'm also very good at karaoke on that song because one time I think I was must have been in the seventh or eighth grade and I decided I'm going to memorize all the lyrics <laughs> to that song for some reason. So I remember in college one time at Milo's My when they had karaoke, sometimes I did It's the End of the World as We Know It and everybody came up to me after they're like, whoa, Tom, that was great. You knew all the words. How'd you do that? I was like, I memorized them when I was in seventh grade. So there you go. Driver 8, though, my favorite REM song, I guess, about a train line that goes through Georgia. Yeah. Driver and, uh, 8 I on that driver, train line. The, the eighth driver was tired. Yeah. Something need, needed a break. And REM's so great. And it's they're kind of a band that took, it's so funny, the way these songs are playing out because we had the Beatles and the zombies before that. Right. Yeah, the yeah. kind of took that, mantle. took that mantle and put their own spin on it, but still owes a huge debt and pays homage to the bands that came 20 years before them in the 60s. So that's the music that I like. I like a good, clean, jangly guitar. It's kind of funny, like, that R.E.M. was only, like, 20 years after the Beatles. Really weird to think y about, You right? know, like, they, they feel like modern, like early modern alternative and the Beatles feel like fossils but they were only 20 years apart that's wild really wild So this next one, Flowers by New Radicals, this was the only one on this list. I had no idea what it was. So what's this band and what's this What's this song? So do you remember the song You Get What You Give by New Radicals? No. Don't give up, you got a reason to live. Can't forget we only oh, got yeah, a I know reason that song. to live. Yeah. 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 
So I listen to this. Th- this sounds like a like a nineties like power ballad type deal. Like, what what drew you to this? It's not what I normally associate with your music. Yeah. Taste. So when this record came out, I was probably in the seventh grade, and that song was a, a hit. You get what you give, and. I got the CD and just loved every song, cover to cover. I was a huge fan of that record. They sh- also shot the video for You Get What You Give in the Staten Island Mall. Okay, and at the time, okay. I lived on Staten Island still. So there was this big connection with this band. And I've been a fan of that record. And I feel like I've listened to that record many many times since it came out i just kind of always come back to it there's a lot of todd rundgren influence in greg alexander's songwriting there's a lot of prince influence in his songwriting and flowers is one of my favorite songs on this record maybe you've been brainwashed too and why this record is interesting to me Looking back on it, considering the time when I first got into it as a 12 or 13 year old, is that in the 20 years since then, I've come to discover a lot of the music that influenced him, the principal songwriter, Greg Alexander. And then when you listen to it, you could be like, oh, wow, yeah, this is so much similar to Hermit at Mancalo and Prince Prince Records and you know all different Todd Rundgren stuff from the 70s. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's co- that's kind of cool to be able to listen to something again that you liked when you were a young kid, a preteen, a teenager and then with this perspective of time and gaining more knowledge in music, you can see Oh, wow. You can hear these influences of stuff that I didn't know about at that time. I was doing the same thing with Ben Folds 5 recently, <laughs> too. Whatever and ever, amen. I'm like, this guy also loved Todd Rundgren. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, like you listen to old stuff and you're like, well, now that you have the benefit of listening to a shitload of music in the 20 years since then, you can right. hear these influences. So is this new Radicals record one of the first records that you like discovered outside of your parents that you still return to? Yeah, definitely. That Definitely. Because anything else that I really liked during that time period, I think I've moved on from mm-hmm. when I was like 12 or 13. This one, I feel like stands the test of time. And it was interesting because he was in the news about a year ago because they asked him to perform at Biden's inauguration because Bo Biden loved You Get What You Give, the song. And he like shared it with Joe Biden. So they asked Greg Alexander to perform, you know, virtually at the on a sound at a sound oh, stage right, in Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. So that was cool too. So it was kind of ties into current events as well. Didn't, did something happen with Todd Rundgren recently? Did he like die or get inducted into the Rock inducted and Roll Hall of Fame? He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Congrats, Todd. And he decided not to show up. Yeah, but, that's what I'm thinking of. It's funny because Patti Smith still showed up to induct him. So it's like, maybe he should have gone. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I mean, like, 
Yeah, that's a too cool for school move. But yeah. Patty Smith is st- still cooler than he is, even yeah. though he's pretty cool. Yeah. So the next one is one that surprised me. It is a third wave emo track. Yeah, the last lie, lie I told by Saves the Day off of Through Being Cool. I've kind of moved on from this band, but anytime I hear Through Being Cool, it's very transportive for me to yeah. my teenage years. So I did want to put that on there to, to give that band some credit. And they're a yeah, New Jersey band. They're a New Jersey band. So these records came out. This record came out in 1999 before I moved to New Jersey and before I was in high school. But they put out records that were great while I was in high school. Being a New Jersey band, everybody loved them. This song is catchy as hell, too. Yeah, it's a little annoying, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> but well, that's, that's, all, that's all. Coming that's out. all, folks. <laughs> But yeah, I did want to put that there to represent that time in my life. some bands that are big time Tom bands. We got Joe McCarthy's Ghost. Yeah, this is off of the Minutemen's first EP, Paranoid Time, the second release on SST Records. SST One, I believe, was a Black Flag's Nervous Breakdown. This band like changed my life, I'd say. Really? Yeah, totally. So when did you discover them? College. I think I was probably a sophomore in college, and around the same time, a documentary on the Minutemen came out around that time. And there's so much going on in their music. Their song structures are mostly linear. There's no choruses. There's no, like, you know, there's there's just verses, really. There's, you know, they're like, two-minute songs that just go from start to finish. There's I think no... this one's like just over a minute. Yeah. So that's something that really blew my mind initially. The guitars are all like clean. They don't really use any effects or stuff like that. No pedals. Really just clean guitar tones. Uh, the, the way they played, you know, I would see live videos of them from the 80s. was just mind-blowing to me how they kind of bucked the standards of punk rock at the time to do their own version of punk rock. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But their ethos, their DIY ethos, I think the most significant impact they had on me was kind of changing my worldview and how I view things. They were really like champions of working class people because they were working class people and a lot of their songs the thematic content has to do with the struggles of working class people 
in capitalist society. They were a band that was active during Re Ronald Reagan's presidency, mm -hmm, which was probably mm -hmm. the worst thing for this country to ever happen. Well, I mean, you know, there's other well, pretty bad stuff. It's it, a bad thing. It was thing. like the beginning of the conservative movement yeah. that ultimately led to Trump. Yeah. Or if, if not the beginning, then the ascendance of it. But that kind of just changed my outlook on how I viewed things and just made me, at a time, I guess, when I was learning new ideas in college, taking different classes and learning about different mm -hmm. types of people that they were kind of also guiding me in understanding nice. the, you know, a lot of their songs, there's a song, This Ain't No Picnic, where they kind of talk about, you know, working, you know, for shit pay and working like hard manual labor jobs and, Which you know, shitty bosses and stuff. So, and a lot of their stuff, you know, was political like mm -hmm. but without being didactic though it was kind of just like explaining not really telling you what to think but giving you right facts and coming and from like the perspective exactly and joe mccartney's ghost is just like <laughs> it's such a great powerful song this holy p is like i think the holy p is like 12 minutes it's like five songs it's really really short but this one is kind of you know referencing how i guess the legacy of joe mccartney lives on and how mccarthy mccarthy yeah joe mccarthy yeah not mccartney got McCarthy. beatles on the mind dude thinking of the beatles i guess how it kind of lives on and how people are persecuted and singled out for their beliefs sometimes especially totally. during an era the 1980s of you know big conservatism even in, it's crazy to think, even in California back then, because Ronald Reagan is from Cal fucking California. Yeah, California is a weird place. Yeah, and you wouldn't even imagine that today. If you go, if you go like inland, you get some weird shit. Oh yeah, that's that fucking penis head. But so many of what penis head? One of the biggest Trump. Oh, uh, Devin Nunes. Yeah, I hate him. He's he's a real penis head. He's such a penis head. Such a penis head of an in as we hate you. And on that note, Joe Penis Head's ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Can you fight the bullet? Can you see the enemy? Can you point your finger? Can you prove your loyalty? After that, we have perhaps the ultimate Tom band, Husker Du. Husker Du, it's funny. I get into arguments with my friend Eric Speck about which is the better band, Husker Du and the, or The Replacements, and I always uh, stand by my decision to select Husker Du. I, I'm Team Replacements. It's okay. They're both great bands, but yeah, I, I just... I mean, since you picked a song from Husker Du and from R.E.M., but no replacements... I think it's pretty clear what team you're on. Yeah. <laughs> team Husker Du. But Somewhere is off of their epic double album, Zen Arcade. A classic. Another record that really blew my mind when I was in college because it's a concept record that follows a kid who runs away from home 
He liked experiments with drugs and shit and, you know, has, I guess, some kind of existential crisis. But I thought it was cool how within the context of that, they work in songs that are really melodic. Because mm -hmm. this was a period where they were transitioning away from a hardcore band, a hardcore punk band, to a band that was more, you know, rooted in nice melodies. You know, there's, there's a nice, this somewhere has a really, really nice melody. It's a Grant Hart song, the drummer. He's a singer. He sadly passed away a couple of years mm -hmm, ago. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that this is a concept record, the way they use like noise as on certain songs, but then they can transition to something like Somewhere, which is just, you know, a nice melodically pleasing song. Yeah, I thought it was a really, song. really cool how they kind of work all of that in to tell this story, essentially. So that was, you know, it's mind-blowing to me. And I distinctly remember listening to this record a whole lot in my dorm room. So Nice. Which which dorm? Deke. Delta Kappa Epsilon fraternity house. If you didn't know, Tom was in a frat in college. So weird. I know. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> so weird. So weird. <laughs> Ultimate college rock band, Pavement. Another record that I discovered in college that I was immediately obsessed with from the first note of the first song on Slanted and Enchanted, Summer Babe. The guitar tone on that song is so good. Yeah. I picked Trigger Cut Wounded Kite at 17. <laughs> but I was also... There's just so many cool things about Pavement as a band. Stephen Malkmus's lyrics are so, like, weird and don't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, they're kind of, like, indecipherable. You're not <laughs> yeah, sure if like, what is he talking about? Yeah, you're not about. sure if there's, like, some deeper meaning or if he's just kind of, like, yeah, saying words. Time, yeah. Yeah. So I loved that about them. I loved the scrappiness of the sound of this record while the songs were still really tight, well-written songs. So the, the combination of that, I was like, wow, this is this, every song on this record is so good. I mean, the way he has a weird singing voice, but he totally made it work. Just an incredible band, especially. This record's like such a touch point for like so much other music. Yeah, it's a touch point for me. That's why I put it here. Damn right. Yeah, I mean, I love this album. I still listen to this album. I will always love this album. Lies and betrayals, through covered nails, electricity and lust won't break in the door. I've got a heavy coat, it's filled with rocks and sand. And if I lose it, I'll be coming back today. So next up. We have, I mean, I keep saying this about all of these bands, but because they are perhaps the ultimate Tom band, The Feelies. So The Feelies are 
you know, one of my favorite bands. Just saw them recently, right? Yes, I saw them at White Eagle Hall. I go to see them every time they play live. They always put on a really good show. They only play in the New York area now, right? Yeah, they'll go to Boston. They'll go to Philadelphia. I think sometimes they'll go to DC. Baltimore? Baltimore, yeah, sometimes too. And so in 2009, Bar None Records reissued the first two Feelies records, Crazy Rhythms, which is the album they're most well known mm -hmm. for, and this album, The Good Earth. So Crazy Rhythms was a totally different Feelies lineup. It was just Bill and Glenn, and then two other guys that weren't always in the band too, like Anton Fear was in the band, a couple other people. No Weckerman? Weckerman wasn't in the band at that point. Weckerman, so then they kind of- If, if, if Weckerman's not in, then I'm Weckerm out. Weckerm out, yeah. Weckerm out. Then they kind of took a break. They were still playing in different bands and then they kind of reformed with the lineup that we know now mm -hmm. in 1986 and they put out this album, The Good Earth, which is way more autumnal sounding, I'd say. Totally, Greater use totally. of acoustic guitars, not as jittery and stuff as the first record, Crazy Rhythms. And I like this more. I like this record more than the first Feelies record. I think this is more associated with what I think of when I think of the Feelies. Oh, I totally think the average like the, the person that they have when they play shows now. Yeah, I think the average person that's maybe a casual fan thinks of Crazy Rhythms, but. I think diehard fans like myself, you know, know that they put out The Good Earth, they put out two other records after that before they broke up that weren't on, that aren't on streaming. They are available through Bar None, they've been reissued, but. Uh, I'm assuming they're in your record library. Yes. And they broke up in like 1992 and then Sonic Youth was playing a show on July 4th in Battery Park and the Feelies would always play on holidays in the 80s. So they would play on the 4th of July, they'd play on Memorial Day, and I guess Thurston Moore and thought about, oh yeah, like I, they used to love, like him and Kim Gordon would go see the Feelies at Maxwell's. He's like, oh, I remember the Feelies used to play on holidays. You think they're still around? Would they want to play? <laughs> and they weren't, but they reached out to them and they decided to reform for that gig and they've been together ever since. Yeah, they put out, out two records too. since then. They put out a record in 2011 and 2017. But so the Good Earth, you know, seminal Feelies record. And my favorite song from it is On the Roof because it has a chill summertime party vibe to it. It's kind of about people hanging out on the roof. So it makes me happy because I love doing stuff like that in the summer. Totally. With friends. Totally. Awesome song. Another Tom Band. <laughs> Another Tom Band. So, XTC Grass, one of my favorite XTC songs, written by Colin, Colin Molding off of their uh, album Skylarking. We were talking about Todd Rundgren a bunch earlier. 
Uh, Todd Rundgren produced this record, released in 1986. And XTC was a band that I got into that my uncle Nick was a big fan of that I didn't really like when I was a kid. I just didn't get it, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. They, they have like a bit of a higher bar than some of the other bands. Yeah, and I remember he told me when I was a kid, though, he gave me their 1999 album, Apple Venus, on CD, and he's like, you'll like this when you're older. But he is totally right. <laughs> and, like in a big way. So I did really like it when uh, I got older. So this, you know, I mean, this record cover to cover is one of my favorite records. It's a real sonic journey. So kind of why, like capturing a vibe. Why Grass instead of making plans for Nigel? I just like this era of the feelies more, I'd say. That, that kind of art punk era was good and ex getting a little more experimental on drums and wires, but I like their poppier stuff mm -hmm. where they're getting more psychedelic. That's, I think, as far as like listening preference, that's what I prefer for music in general. So next up, we have a band that you have described as your favorite band, and I believe was in your online dating profile when you had one. Yeah, totally. I love Yola Tango. Would you describe them as your favorite band still? Totally. Absolutely. My favorite active band currently. Nice. And they're great. I love their... I lived in Hoboken for a while. Maxwell's was, of course, everyone knows my favorite club of all time. They were, you know, mainstays, regulars there. They yeah. perform there all the time. So that they have that connection. And of course, they are great songwriters and continue to put out great albums 35, 36 years into their That's career. Wild. This band, when I talk about them, it's so cool to see how far they've come as a band. When they first came out and they put out Ride the Tiger was their first record released yeah. on Coyote Records, a Hoboken record label run by original Maxwell's owner, Steve Fallon. They were good, they wrote good songs, but if they, it, it, if I think if they just stopped making music at that point, it'd be like a, a record that you find in a used bin and you put on and it's like, oh, this is good like college rock from the 80s, but they took it to like, they just kept going and kept getting better and evolving and it's, you know, incredible. Yeah, I can hear the heart beating as one is a top five album for me, I think. Yeah, and I picked Our Way to Fall because I recently got married and it's me and Poo one of mine and Pooja's favorite songs. And while- it's a really the, sweet song. While Sean Kiley, Shout out to Sean Kylie, the guy that played at our wedding. <laughs> we were like in the rehearsing in the other room and he was re he was rehearsing. We were rehearsing the ceremony, he started playing it and we just started crying. Oh, so, that's really, yeah, that's sweet. really sweet. So, you know, it's a special song for me and personally.
Songs that have a special spot in the story of Tom and Pooch. Yeah. I'll Be Your Mirror, Velvet Underground, and Nico. Uh, You know, this is my wife, Pooja, and I. This is the song that we first danced to at our wedding, which was a couple of months ago. And it's a special song to us. It's, I think, you know, great wonderful song from a wonderful record the velvet underground and i you know there's just very personally uh meaningful song to me so of course i had to put it on this playlist absolutely absolutely it's a unimpeachable song unimpeachable song show that you're home when you think the night has in your mind that inside you twisted and unkind Let me stand to show that you are blind Please put down your hands Cause I see you So, last up we have July by Triptides, which I believe is the only song on here from within the last 25 years. <laughs> so would you say that this is your favorite song of the last 25 years? I don't know if it is. This is one of my, so I described Triptides, a band that I interviewed. I mean, I interviewed Glenn from Triptides recently. Great guy, great songwriter. I described this band as my favorite band of people that are close in age to me. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, like fellow millennials, kind of. Mm-hmm. Great, great songwriter, very, you know, in touch with the Birdsian jangle of the guitar, knows how to make a guitar sound good. Great pop instincts, songwriting instincts within psychedelia. He doesn't get, you know, super crunchy and heavy with psych, which is kind of a turnoff, mm-hmm. you know, when he gets too when it gets too heavy. He's always clean, really good, solid, uh, melodic guitar music. And I wanted to pick "Invitation" from their 2017 album Afterglow because it is. I go. I spend time with all of their records, really, and right now I'm really getting reacquainted with Afterglow. I listened to it a lot when it came out in 2017. And Invitation is my favorite song on the record. I love songs that evoke, you know, a summer feeling. And this song definitely does. You can feel like being outside, you know, in the sunshine, having fun with Zach in a backyard, drinking an IPA, you know, a Bengali. Yeah. Six point IPA in the orange. Maybe some some premios on the grill. If we're getting nostalgic, you know, 2014 having it in the silver, uh, six point. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever I listen to Triptides, I think of being in your car because that CD was playing in your car for like a really long time. Yeah, I have their 2011 album on CD in my car. It's a good one, everyone. You should totally check it out. It's called Sun Pavilion. 
and I have it on compact disc and That's it. Thanks, Zach. That was fun. Ah, uh, man. So we'll have to do this again in, in 200 episodes. Yeah, episode 400. We'll come back to this apartment, even if you don't live here yeah. anymore. Yeah. Four years from now? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we'll be living here still or not. So there you have it. Tom Gallo. Zach, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming up with this idea and asking me to do it. Thanks for 200 well, thanks for 199 awesome episodes. And thanks for all your great contributions. You're a big part of this thing. Oh, oh you flatter. You're great. You flatter. You're great. You've been a great co-interviewer and writer, contributor. You can do anything you want with Look at My Records whenever You've been you a great want. friend, dude. Yeah, we're great friends. Great friends. I love being your friend. Dude. Let's continue to be friends. For at least another 2,000 years. Yeah, 2,000 years. Yeah, 2,000 years. Until you're entombed in your records that you never sold. Yeah. <laughs> Bury them with me. <laughs> <laughs>